Well, how are you doing tonight? It's good to see you. Um, I don't think I mentioned before, my name is Mike and I am one of the pastors here. And so if this is your first time, welcome. We're glad. We've got a full house tonight. We're back in fall. It's, it's good. Uh, we're, we're still aiming in sometime in October to be in back in the new worship center. We'll keep you posted, but still aiming for that uh, because we realize we're going to need that. And so, uh, but, but for, for now, uh, you know, we're crammed in here and that's great. It's good to be together. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And if you are brand new, inside your program is a green and white uh, message note sheet that we use every week. So you definitely want to pull that out. That'll help you follow along. And then if you guys are set, I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Yeah. I got to warn you, this may be a long one. It may be a long one, all right? All right, so if you have dinner plans, call them right now. Hey, push them back a half an hour, right? So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chance to be together, to love one another, and just have so much fun as this community of growing, passionate Christ followers. We love one another, we love being together, and we love you, and we love your word, and we love what you're doing at this church, and we pray that you would come, and God, would you hover over us today, would you call for beautiful things out of our life, and we pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing this brand new series we started last week called The Genesis Chronicles, The Story Begins. And for those of you who are new, this, this is a brand new series, but it's actually the first of three series, kind of a trilogy of series, on the, open, the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3. And as we said last week, these are three of the most important and foundational messages, uh, chapters in all the Bible, because in, in many ways, much like an epic novel, in the, in the opening three or four chapters, will set the stage who the key characters are and, and set the, the, the place and time and kind of the, the main, kind of the plot gets going and, the, and the, maybe the major cl- conflict starts. And, and, and it's going to carry through the whole novel. And not the, the questions going to be raised there that aren't going to be answered to the end of the novel. In the same way that in these opening chapters of Genesis, God is kind of introducing the main storyline of all of the Bible. And so if you were here last week, uh, we talked, we, we looked at just the first two verses. And, and what we saw is that, uh, it, it, that in the beginning, uh, God creates uh, all that there is, kind of the raw material of the universe, the, the heavens and the earth is the way it's put in Hebrew. Uh, but, but the earth was a mess. It was, it was, it was dark. It was uh, watery. It was a dark water world. It was empty. It was formless. Uh, it's what in Hebrew, remember, we called tohu vabohu, right? And then over God, over that, God's hovering, ready to call forth beautiful things, call forth order and beauty and so on. And so today, what we're going to see in, in today is, is we're going to walk through the first six days of creation. So what's going to happen over this dark water world, uh, God is going to begin to create and call forth beautiful things, and it's going to be done in a very orderly way. The first three days, he's going to be forming the three major environments of our world. So the sea, the sky, and the land. And in the second three days, he's going to be filling those three environments with life, right? So it's kind of in the order that he created them. And so uh, one of the things that happens is when you, opening, you, you jump into this opening chapter of Genesis, is it, it's hard to read it without right away as modern-day Christ followers asking a question, now wait a minute, how do we kind of reconcile this six days of creation uh, with uh, kind of theories of modern science that the world is 18.5 billion years old and came as a result of, uh, you know, complex uh, a- 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 interactions of atoms and molecules and particles, kind of random uh, action of evolution over time. And, uh, and that's a great question, and we're going to come back to that later today. But for now, as we jump in, I want you to put that on, uh, kind of put it on hold, and I want you just to sit back and take in this epic story of uh, this incredible God that we met last week, this God who is brilliant, uh, who is powerful, who is uh, amazing, who is personal, who is creative and generous and beautiful and absolutely good as he speaks the universe into existence. So can you do that? We're just going to put, put the modern-day questions on hold. We want to enter into the beauty uh, and the spectacular nature of this epic description of the creation of the world. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about how different Christians throughout time have looked and understood this opening chapter of Genesis and how it relates to kind of the theories of, of, modern, of the modern world, modern science, right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called uh, The Six Days, The Forming and Filling. And what we're going to see in this passage is that this passage, as I mentioned last week, is very carefully crafted. 
This, this uh, opening chapter of Genesis, uh, in fact, all three opening chapters, are incredibly uh, carefully crafted works of literature. We began to talk about that last week in a variety of ways. But what we're going to see is there's a rhythm and there's a flow. And so what's going to happen with each day, uh, God is going to speak, something is going to be created, then that something is going to be evaluated, and then we're going to name the day, kind of which, which day it happened on, right? And so, um, uh, so there in your notes, we'll, we'll pick it up then in chapter 1 and verse uh, 3. And so God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now let's stop there. <laughs> I told you this might take a while. We've only got 25 more verses or whatever. So, uh, but but I, want, I want to point out something that's very important as we get lodged here. What I want you to catch is the Word of God is creative. That uh, when God speaks things happen. And this is true today as it was then. In fact, last week we talked about this concept that in the New Testament, when someone comes to Jesus, we're told that that person is a new creation. And those words are not chosen randomly, but the Bible is telling us there was a first creation that went bad. When Jesus came, he came to turn all wrongs to right. Jesus was the start of a whole new creation. His resurrection was the prototype of the, is the beginning of the whole new creation. So when you come to Christ, when I come to Christ, there's a new creation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, this is what Paul says, God who said, let there be light, is the one who has spoken in our lives to show us the glory of God in the face of Christ. And the New Testament in many places talks about that we've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. When you became a Christian, God spoke, hovered over your life. He said, let there be light, and that's why you came to Jesus, right? And so, so God is in the process now of creating a new person in your life, and he's hovering over the darkness of your life, and he's going to be calling forth in a very orderly way, just like we see here, this new person that, that he has. And so he says, let there be light. Now, this is important for the nation of Israel. Because remember, as we saw last week, that this, this book of Genesis is written for the nation of Israel to help them understand who God is, who we are, and how our relationship works, and the part that Israel plays in the larger story that God's telling. And remember, at the time that Moses wrote this, there were many other creation accounts floating around. And in those creation accounts, as we talked about last week, often the universe was the result of warfare between the gods. The universe was the result of sexual relationships between the gods. So the creation was actually an afterthought. And the human race were often seen as created to be slaves to the gods. And so over and against that, Moses is saying, no, that's not the way it is. Creation is not an accident. There is this amazing God we've been describing who speaks things into, into being. Right? So it's a very different picture. And so this is an incredibly beautiful and picturesque description. Uh, in fact, it, it reminds me of, in, in, on your note sheet, you'll need to go back to your note sheet for this, but in Job 38, there's a beautiful description of the creation. And in this, in this description, God is speaking to Job, who has been challenging, Job has been challenging God, now God is challenging Job at the end of the book. And, he's, and, and God says to Job, where were you? When I laid the earth's foundation, he's going to, in this passage, he's going to compare creation to a building, right? So God's the builder, comparing to He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who stretched out a measuring line across it, like a, like a builder, you know, like a measuring tape? Um, or who, or on, on what were the footings set? Like who dug the footings? Uh, or who laid the cornerstone of this building? And catch this. While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Isn't that beautiful? Here's a picture of God creating, and the angels just going, no way. Like, did you see that? This is awesome. Like, woo! And they just kind of break out singing, you know. It's like, right? And so, so, uh, and, and so this is a beautiful, epic picture of creation. And I don't want us to miss that. 
this beautiful description of God speaking and creation leaping into existence. It reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia and the magician's nephew, where Aslan, the great lion, when he creates Narnia, he begins to sing. And as he sings, creation is, it comes forth, right? And so this, this amazing God. Now, a quick sidebar here. Critics on the Bible will often say, well, this just shows how the Bible is not truly the Word of God because the first thing that's created is light. We know that the light comes from the sun, moon, stars, uh, you know, as if Moses didn't know that. Uh, and, and so, uh, and so that th- those aren't created until day three. So you can see how unscientific this is. The thing is, light is much bigger than the sun, moon, and stars. And for, in 1 John chapter 1, it says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. In Isaiah 45, God says this, I am the one who forms the light and who creates the darkness. There's something bigger going on here. And so he says, um, let there be light. There was light. And then God saw the light was good. That's the evaluation. Remember I said there's a a speaking, a creation, then an evaluation. Uh, The light is good. He separated the light from the, the darkness God created, he called the light day, he called the darkness, called night, and there was an evening and there was a morning, the first day. Or in Hebrew it says, a day, one day. It doesn't actually say the first day. So not, they, they couldn't be not in a different order, because all the way along it would be like this, a day, a first, a day, one day, a day, two days, right? Okay, so, so I want to I point out a couple things here before we leave this first day. The first thing is I want you to catch this concept where God says, and it was good. This is extremely profound. I don't want you to miss this. Remember I said this is a carefully crafted uh, passage of Scripture, carefully crafted account. I'll be pointing that as we go through. We have a seven-day creation, right? We've got three days of forming, three days of filling. Guess how many goods there are in this chapter? There are seven goods. In Hebrew, the number three... The number seven, the number ten are important numbers. They're numbers of, uh, of completion or fulfillment or perfection. And so seven times in this, pat- in this creation account, God will speak, create, and seven times he will say, it is good. The last time he'll say, it is very good. Now, catch this. This is extremely important. The creation we live on, we live in, God says, is good. Good. Now, it's a fallen creation. Now, it's not what it originally was. But he says, creation was good. And this is very important because in many of the major religions of the world, we are taught that either the creation is not real or that it's not good. In fact, in many religions of the world, in, 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 including skewed Christianity, by the way, that we're taught that creation is not good, that pleasure is not good, that beauty is not good. And therefore, to get close to God, you have to deny yourself pleasure of, of like good food, or you deny yourself pleasure of sexuality. And the New Testament says those teachings are actually, which will come into the church. It's pro, in, in 1 Timothy, it says, the Spirit says in the last times, people will come up to teach. He said, those are actually not from God. Those are inspired by Satan himself. The creation is good. Food is good. Amen? Amen. Sex is good. Amen? Amen? All right. Right time, right place, right person. But sex is right. So, so Christianity teaches the world is a good thing. It's a gift to us. And it's to be fully embraced. And the path to get closer to God is not denying pleasure. And this is extremely important. Because there will always be those that say, well, if you want to get close to God, you need to deny yourself kind of the creation. Now, the second thing I want to point out here is that God names, right? He names the day. Uh, he says that what we'll call the light time day. We'll call the, the, the dark night. This is important because in the ancient world, to name something was a sign of authority and leadership. This is why today we still, as parents, name our children. Like, we don't ask them. 
what would you like to be named? Some of you, your whole life, wish that they were required to do that. Uh, some of your kids are like going, what were you thinking? You know, Apple, you know, it's like whatever, you know. Um, uh, you know, so uh, even today we say, but this is very important. In the Bible, if you name something, it seems you have authority over. You're the leadership over. And so God is naming his creation. He made it. It belongs to him. He's naming it, which is interesting because next, in, in, in a few weeks, we're going to see that he doesn't name everything in his creation. He only names the major environments. When it comes to the animals, he's going to turn that over to us. Why? Because we have been called to rule as the kings and queens of creation. And so we are the namers. Beautiful thing. Now, we're moving on. Speed of light here. All right, so now we're going to move to day two, right? So, so first thing God does is turn on the lights. It's a dark water world. You can't see anything. Turn on the lights, day one. Now he's going to begin to create these, these four, these three major environments, the sky, the, the water, the seas, and the land. And so he says in verse 6, and so he said, let there be an expanse between the waters. Remember, it's this water, murky water world to separate water from water. And so God made the expanse. He separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And, and then and so God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there's morning, second day. Okay, so, so day two, separated out. We now have sky and mess. Right? Now, day, day three. And so in verse uh, 9, and so God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. We're going we're gonna to start creating oceans and land now. Uh, and let dry ground appear. And so and it was so. And so God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? Good. It's good. And so, oh, so, so now we have, by the, by, by the middle of day three, we've got our three environments. We've got the oceans, we've got the, and kind of water bodies, we've got land, and we've got sky. It's beginning to look recognizable to us. And so now in the, the, the second part of day three, he's going to begin to bring vegetation. So verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to the various kinds. And it was so. And so the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, there was a morning, a third day, okay? And so now we've got the environment. And we have formed the three environments that we know, sky, sea, land. Now it's time to begin to fill those environments in the order that they were formed. So on day one, God created the light. So on day four, he's going to create light bearers, okay? And so here we go. And so, uh, and God said, verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs and marks to mark seasons and days and years. And let them uh, be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. And so it was so. And so God made two great lights. And this is important. Remember where Israel had come from. They had come from pagan Egypt. In Egypt, they worship the sun. In Egypt, they worship the moon. Later on, Abraham will rise up. He'll be from Ur of the Chaldees, a very modern city. In Ur, we know today from archaeology that the, the primary god in Ur was the moon god. Moses is writing to a people their whole lives who have been surrounded by people who worship the planets and the stars as gods. And I want you to catch this. Moses can say they're not gods. They're just cre created things. In fact, I'm not even going to mention their names. I'm just going to call them big lights. Because I want you to be clear on this, that God is not part of his creation. He's separate and over his creation. And so he says, in God's said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. Let's go in verse 16. So he made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, of course, the sun, the lesser light to govern the night, moon, and he also made the stars. And so God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, there was a morning, day number four. Now, okay, so now we've got the light going. Uh, on day two and day three, he created the seas, created the sky, 
and the land. Now it's time to fill those environments with life in the order that he formed them. And so here we go. And so in verse 20, and so God said, let the the water team with living creatures, let birds fly in the earth above the expanse of the sky. And so God created the great creatures of the sea um, and every living thing and moving thing within the water teams according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. So we've now filled the seas. We filled the sky. And God saw that it was good. Now here's something new is going to happen. God, for the first time in this account, is going to bless his creation. Catch this. There are three blessings. Remember? Seven, threes, and tens. Three times in this opening creation account, God is going to bless his creation. And they come at critical moments. The creation of animal life, blessing. The creation of the first man and first woman, blessing. The creation of the Sabbath, blessing. Three blessings. And so what we're learning is not only is this creation good, it's a gift to us. And catch this. We're going to talk about this next week. You and I and this cosmos was created to live under the blessing of God. And the story the Bible is telling is what we were created to live, how we lost the blessing, what God has done to restore the blessing through time. And what does Jesus say when he first comes? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He's come to restore the blessing we were created for. And as we follow our creator, we move from the life of the cursed life to the blessed life. Okay? And so here we'll see, and here's, here's what the blessing's going to be. The blessing's going to be like this. Hey, thrive. Uh, Fish of the sea, mammals of the sea, thrive, migrate. And you got to picture this. Pristine world. No pollution. Absolute purity. No smog. No L.A. And it's absolute beauty. And God creates in one location... Now he says, migrate and have and, and be blessed and multiply and fill this earth. It's beautiful. And so in verse, uh, in verse 22, God blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And so there was an evening and a morning. There was a fifth day. And now we come to the sixth day. And so we've, we've filled the waters. We've filled the sky. It's time to start filling the land. And so God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And now we've come to the high point of creation. Everything that has happened to this point is leading up to this point. This is the grand crescendo of the symphony. What comes next is the creation of the human race for which all of the universe was specifically designed. And when when God says it is good, he means it is good for them. But we're going to stop here. You know, we, we have not covered today. We're going to come back next week. What we're going to see next week is catch this, the creation of the first human beings. We'll catch this, who are created to rule this new creation for the creator, to serve as the first king and queen of creation, to live under the leadership of the creator, to rule all of creation for him, and to live the blessed life. We'll come back to that next week. But what I want to do today, the time we have today, is step back and talk about these six days of creation and and ask this question that's the obvious question, how does this incredibly beautiful and epic account of creation six days, how does it relate to us as modern day Christ followers and how does it interface 
with uh, kind of modern scientific theories, kind of majority theories on the creation of the world, the, ancient, the age of, of, of the cosmos, uh, and the mechanisms of, of uh, whether it's you know, astronomy or geology or uh, evolution to create all there is uh, today. But before we do that, I, I want to lay a couple kind of ground rules, a couple um, guiding principles that are going to be really helpful for us, not just today, but for this whole trilogy of series. We'll come back to these more again. So there in your note sheet, there's a section called the Genesis Chronicles, Two Guiding Principles. And so we want to jump in. Here we go. Uh, so, so these are two big picture principles that will guide us all the way through this trilogy. So number one, the first one is that our goal, okay, as we study these opening chapters of Genesis and we ask this question, God, what are you trying to tell us that our goal is to understand God's intention? In other words, when Moses wrote this for the nation of Israel, he had something in mind. He was trying to say something. God speaking through Moses, inspiring Moses. God is trying to communicate something to us. And the question is, what is God trying to communicate? And what I want to come back to you talking about, our goal as Christ followers is to understand accurately what is God trying to tell us through these opening three chapters. Does that make sense? Now, this is important. Because often when you come to the first three chapters of Genesis, and in other parts of the Bible as well, but especially the first three chapters, that one of the questions people will ask you or they'll ask me is, do you take the opening chapters of Genesis literally? And the right answer should always be, that depends. <laughs> and if you say, depends on what, it, it's, well, it depends on what you mean by literally. Right? Because what we find when we come to the scriptures is that, you know, the scripture is not just one book, it's 66 books, right? Put together, it's like a library. Uh, one man called it Divine Library. I love that. Very famous pastor called it Divine Library. Um, and, and so when you come to the Bible, you have all different kinds of literature. Right? And so in, in literature, we call these genres. Some of you are familiar with that, that term, genre, J-E-N-R-E-S, a genre, right? And so there's different kinds of genres. So like in the Bible, there is historical narrative. It's simply telling you what happened historically, right? And then there's poetry. It's a very different kind of genre. And there are proverbs, very different. And there are visions, very different. And there are gospels, and they're very different. And the way you interpret any passage of Scripture, you have to start with the genre. Like you would interpret, for example, poetry and historical narrative in the same way. Like let me give you a great example. There in your note sheet, we looked earlier at uh, a passage from Job 38, where God's speaking to Job and, and challenging. And so we won't look at the whole passage, but I put part of it there on your note sheet. And so here's what God says to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Comparing it to a building. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? Now the question is, should we take that Literally. And the answer is obviously no. Well, you know, we don't think God's out there. It's like, okay, day one, where do I start? Uh, we need a foundation for this sucker. Uh, anyone got a shovel? Hey, Gabriel, you're going to need ten shovels. Uh, got to lay a foundation. Everybody's starting to start digging some footings. Uh, hey, Michael, uh, can you find a cornerstone? We need something big, right? We need something big for this thing. This is going to be a big world. So, so you get the cornerstone. Uh, Gabriel, start working on the, we, we don't, we understand, this is poetic language, right? Uh, when, when he says, and he asks the question, who stretched a measuring line? He's not like, a, you know, I want to build a universe, I want it fairly big. <laughs> In fact, I, I want it to be a hundred billion light years across. Now, who's got the measuring tape? <laughs> like, I don't want 150, I don't want 50, I think... A hundred billion light years, that's about right. Where did I put that thing? Anyone got that thing? Like, we understand it. This is poetry. And so in this passage, it's beautiful poetry, that God is speaking and he's comparing himself to a builder. 
and he's using builder language to talk about a very real thing, the creation, and it's very beautiful. We're going to see this all through Genesis. We're going to see that God forms man from the dust to the ground. Do you think God's like down there in his needs? Need a little bit more water. Or could it be that God is describing himself as a potter in clay? You see what I'm saying? And so we'll deal with these issues as we go through. But here's what I want you to catch. As we read these opening chapters, the question is, not what we've always believed about it. The question is, what does God intend us to understand? Right? Now, here's the thing. Throughout history, different Christians who love Jesus, love his word, who believe that all scripture is inspired by God, have had a different take on this, different opinions, all right? But the issue is, as a church, as a congregation in your own life, whenever we read any part of Scripture, our initial starting point is say, what is God intending to say? What is the author, Moses, intending to say? When God inspired this, what's he intending us to say? Now, we may disagree on, on how we end up solving, answering that, but that's where we, this should be the starting point. You, you with me? Okay, number two. The second and big picture uh, principle that's so important, is that our conclusions, in other words, how, what we decide, what is genre, and what is God intending to say in these opening chapters of Genesis, our conclusions are a secondary issue. Now, this is important. For those of you who have been here at Rocky Peak for a while, you know that we talk about, that they're, they're in the, when you come to the Bible, there are primary issues and there are secondary issues, right? So a primary issue is something that almost all Christians have agreed on over time. Uh, it's very clear in the Bible, and it's very important. Primary issue, we call them black and white issues, right? So, so for example, who God is, who we are, path to life, path to salvation, the authority of Scripture, the core moral code of the New Testament. These are primary issues, right? And then there are secondary issues. These are issues that different Christians who love Jesus, are well-educated, have studied the Word, have differences of opinion over time. And they're always less important and less clear. We often call them gray areas, right? So, for example, uh, uh, spiritual gifts, Hey, does the gift of tongues exist today or not? Should all, if it does exist, should all Christians have it or only some Christians have it? Uh, Halloween, you celebrate it or is it the devil's day? Like some Christians are like, oh, it's my favorite holiday of the year. Other Christians are like, it's Satan's holiday. Right? Uh, uh, homeschooling, uh, private schooling, public education. Uh, theologically, predestination versus free will. Second coming of Jesus, when and how. Uh, politics, should Christians be, uh, uh, should churches address this from the pulpit, uh, kind of talk a lot about politics, it's the role of uh, Christians in culture to be speaking to political issues or not. You know, what does it mean to be a good Christ in the area of, of politics? Uh, worship, you know, uh, kind of worship styles, contemporary or hymns. Small groups or adult Bible fellowships? Choir or no choir? Right? These are the kinds of issues we often fight about, but here's what the Bible says. On primary issues, we never compromise, no matter how popular or unpopular they become. On secondary issues, what the Bible says, it's more important that we love and accept one another than that we're right on every issue. Okay? Bible, very clear on this. So there's a lot of passages that teach us. One of the, the most famous and best ones is Romans 14 and 15. 
right? So uh, where, where uh, Apostle Paul kind of works this out. We don't have time to go into in the depth about that. But in other words, Paul says, hey, there's certain things that are right, certain things that are wrong in these secondary areas. I'm not saying there's no right or no wrong, but in these secondary areas, what's more important than being right is that you love one another and you accept one another. So here at Rocky Peak, in our life groups, we should have different people of political, different political persuasions, and it's okay. Here at Rocky Peak, we should be able to disagree on predestination and free, and it's okay. We should be able to disagree on if we can't be in the same life group and love one another on these secondary issues, there's something terribly immature about us as a church, right? One of the marks of an immature person is they take a secondary issue and they make it a primary issue. And so here's what I want you to catch. When you come to these opening chapters of Genesis, that what is primary issue is who created and why he created. What's secondary is when he created and how he created. And so what you find is throughout history, and it's not just modern history, but throughout history, Christians who love Jesus, love his word, who understand the concept of genre, have studied this, asked God, prayed for wisdom, and they've come to different conclusions. And so what I'm saying is, what, however you decide, whatever you decide as we go through the series, on your conclusions, it's a secondary issue, and it shouldn't divide us. So are you with me in this? You following this? Okay. Now, having laid that groundwork, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, and in the time we don't have today, uh, I want to quickly go through four examples of how solid Christ followers who love Jesus have understood Genesis chapter 1, asking the question, what do we believe God is intending to say? And they've answered it differently. They come to a different conclusion. And, and for each of these, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of the position uh, each of these, I promise you, has strengths and weaknesses. There is no one position that has no weaknesses. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. I'm not saying they're equally strong or equally weak. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. I mean weaknesses. Um, and, and so uh, what I've done there is as we go through, if there's one in particular, like, hey, that's really fascinating. I would like to read more about that or learn more. I'm going to give you a couple resources in case you want to chase it down in your own. All right? So just real quickly, we're going to win. We won't take a lot of time in this just because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, this is one of those like, I'm telling you, this was like a five-hour message. Cut, 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 you know. But um, we got it down to three hours, so that's good. So here we go. Um, so there in your note sheet, you've got a section called Six Days, Four Views. First view, Young Earth View. Okay? Now a lot of you are familiar with this. It's a very popular view. Probably historically, throughout the history of the church, it's probably been the most popular view, uh, kind of, especially before uh, you know, uh, kind of science began making some discoveries. Um, and it's been a very popular view among evangelical Bible-believing Christians today. And so basically, this point, to, this point of view is a read Genesis 1. This kind of person believes that what we're reading here is historical narrative. That's the genre. And so they, they believe that it's just a very straightforward description of the creation of the earth. Um, and uh, they may note that, yeah, there's some poetry in it, but you see it's very straightforward. And so they believe, first of all, that there, there's six literal 24-hour days are being referred to. And they also believe as you kind of go through Genesis and you add up the, the length of years of the genealogies in Genesis, that this would point to the, the earth being less than 10,000 years old. Now, the question is, so, so what does this point of do? point of view do with, you know, the apparent scientific evidence that the earth is older. And so the, their first response would be, uh, hey, we get that. We, we understand that the world does look older, I mean, that the earth, the universe does look older. We, we get that. Uh, but first of all, we would question, uh, we would question some of the dating methods. And secondly, we would point out that specifically the theory of evolution has a lot of holes in it. And so, so they would point to things like uh, the fossil record, the lack of transitional forms, you know, between like sea creatures and land creatures, no fossils of that. Uh, and they would be very big on this uh, concept that's arisen in the last few years called the intelligent design movement, right? And so they, they would say, hey, as you look at, uh, as you look at creation, uh, creation is really like uh, a bunch of machines, 
Right? The, the, I mean, all of creation at the molecular level, the subatomic level, the, the, the life you that, that everything's like a machine. And, and the, the way a machine works is they have to have all the parts for the machine to work. So there's this very important concept we call irreducible complexity. Like, like for your engine to work, you can't just say, hey, let's take out the spark plugs and wait for them to evolve and this thing will be awesome. Like in the meantime, if you're a living being, you're dead, right? So this is one of the biggest problems with evolution, just kind of naturalistic, uh, no God evolution. This is a big problem, is that while you're waiting for uh, this, the rest of the stuff to catch up here and be created, this is dead, right? And so they, they would point to that. But in this young earth uh, point of view, the two big things that they would point to is, is first would be appearance of age. You might want to write that down. That they would say, yeah, we agree the universe looks old, but the reason was it was created with an appearance of age. This makes a lot of sense, right? Like when Adam was created, I mean, he's got, he's, you know, he's an adult, he's ready to be married, he's ready to have sex with his wife, so he's got to be old enough for that, right? So, so when you look at Adam, you know, how old is he? I don't know, he's 30 or he's 15 or however he is, but he was just created two seconds ago, right? So he... So the universe is the same way. If you're creating a sequoia tree, yeah, it's going to look thousands of years old. You know, if you're creating a universe, it's going to look billions of years old. So, so it's created with an appearance of age. They would also argue that the flood that they would believe is universal in, in Genesis chapter 6, which, by the way, many ancient cultures have a, a tradition of a great flood, uh, they, they would argue that that was a universal worldwide flood. And as a result of that flood, it changed the whole environment of planet Earth, and it also led to major seismic upheavals. You saw the movie, right? And, and so, uh, so it led to major and so uh, like geological strata that would normally take forever to create were created extremely fast because of the, the high pressure of this uh, water, all right? So, so that would be uh, kind of the young earth. So they say, hey, so as we read it, straightforward uh, description, and they'd say, so we believe, yeah, the earth looks older, but here's why it looks older. It was actually 10,000 years or less uh, old, and, and it was created 6, 24-hour days just like. Okay, you got that one? Okay, so that's, that's number one. So there's a couple organizations that I've listed under that one that would be proponents of that view. Second view, we call, I'm going to call it the day-age theory. Now, these are Christ followers who love Jesus, love his word, uh, believe the scripture is inspired by God, but who believe that this, this passage is a little bit more like Job than like USA Today. Right? And so, so they believe that, that's, that there's a, a description of creation, but it's kind of a big picture description. And so the six days are actually like six geological eras or six kind of eras of creation. And so they would, they would argue, they would be absolutely right on this, that the Hebrew word for day has a wide, we call a wide semantic range. It's much like our word day. Like day can refer to daytime as opposed to nighttime, or day could refer to a 24-hour period, or day could refer to an era, right? Like if I talk about the days of King David or the days of Moses, I'm talking about an era, right? And, 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 so, and so the Hebrew word, in fact, and there is even a verse in the Bible, it says, with the Lord, one day, the Hebrew word is yom, one yom is like a thousand days. So in other words, God is outside of time, time is sort of, he doesn't, you know, he operates outside of time, and so that he did create, but he created over 18.5 billion years. Now, these believers usually would, be, would believe in what we would call theistic evolution, okay? So evolution, as it's taught in our schools and our culture, is what we call naturalistic evolution. It believes that there is no God, uh, that all the universe is all there is. Everything we see is a result of random natural forces over 18.5 billion years. Uh, and so these Christians would say, no, we... We, we believe there is strong evidence for evolution. We can look at the universe, the speed it's expanding. There's evidence for the Big Bang. Uh, we, we can look for the, the evidence behind evolution. We believe it's solid evidence. And so we do believe uh, that God created that and that God is the author of that, that God is the force behind 
all of the evolutionary forces and that uh, he is the creator and he's creating over time. He's continuing in that sense to, to kind of create today uh, through that process. And so uh, this would be theistic evolution. Now, uh, a great example of this would be uh, Hugh Ross. A lot of you have, are familiar with the writings of Hugh Ross. Hugh Ross is a Christian astrophysicist. Okay, so when you put astrophysicist and attach it to a name, you're dealing with a smart person, right? Um, not necessarily pastor, that's not really true, but astrophysicist, you got something going on. And so he, he's an astrophysicist, right? And he came to Jesus by reading the Bible. He, he was studying all the ancient worlds, uh, all, the, all the major religions of the world. They all seem like hocus pocus. When he opened up to Genesis 1 as a science-informed person, and he read the six days, he said, that is exactly what modern science tells us the order of creation was. And he said... I'm going to keep reading this book, and I'm going to look for an heir. This was supposed to be the word of God. I'm going to keep looking until I find an heir. He read the whole thing, never found an heir. He gave his life to Jesus. And so today, he is a Christian astrophysicist who argues that the Genesis 1 is a big-picture description. It's, it's, it's uh, partly poetic. It accurately describes the creation of the universe as we know it uh, from modern science, Big Bang, uh, the, the different developments. And if you're interested in that, he recently wrote uh, a new book that was just in time for this series, fortunately, uh, called uh, Navigating Genesis 1 through 9, where he kind of explains the science behind that. And so he'd argue that. Now, uh, interesting, another person that you, would, you may know his name, we often quote him here, is Tim Keller. And Tim Keller is a very famous pastor in New York, amazing author, uh, one of the most respected evangelical thinkers and writers of our day. And, and Tim Keller, uh, I don't know if he would endorse exactly the same thing as, um, as, as Hugh Ross, but he would definitely be an example of someone who believes in theistic evolution. And so he understands chapter one of Genesis that way. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is, I'm calling it the two-stage. You could call it two-step, but it sounded like a country dance. Mm. And so these Christians love Jesus, love his word, believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. As they read it, uh, uh, and they look at the evidence of science, here's what they believe. They believe that the creation as we know it today was created in two steps or two stages. The first step was the creation of the raw material of the universe, much like Genesis 1-1. Then being God created the heavens with all the raw materials, but then there was a long period of time, remember God's outside of time, that there's a long period of time between the creation of the raw materials and the actual creation of the world as we know it. So they believe that there's a, a, a big picture creation of the raw materials, the energy, the matter, and so on, and then later on in time, that there was a six 24-hour day uh, creation. They think that better fits the evidence in the Bible, especially pertaining to the Sabbath day. And so uh, there, was two, there was kind of two steps. So it's an old, it's an old universe, but the world as we know it is, is young. Now, uh, interestingly, just a quick sidebar on this, kind of a, a, maybe a subset of this particular group uh, not, the, not the majority, but it's kind, of a, it's kind of an older view, not much in favor today, but it's called the gap theory. And in this theory, it's kind of similar in that they believe God created all the world in Genesis 1, 1, all the heavens and the earth, and it was perfect. It was pristine. But then there was some sort of cataclysmic event, which they believe was the fall of Satan from heaven to earth, that destroyed our planet, uh, which was why it's tohu vabohu. Uh, and then that God then in six 24-hour days recreated. So what we're living in is a recreated world, right? So that would be kind of a variable of that. Uh, the, uh, kind of a couple of guys that, that would support the two-step view, not the gap part of it, but the two-step view, would be uh, Mark Driscoll and Gary Brashears. And they wrote a great book called Doctrine, which is kind of a big-picture look at what the Bible teaches, systematic theology. Uh, we actually use that book in our, one of our essentials courses. And then finally... The fourth view I want to highlight is called the literary structure view. And so what they, what they argue is as we look at ancient literature, you know, Babylonian, Sumerian, Canaanite, Egyptian, that often in the ancient world, epic events 
like the creational world, like the great flood, were described in seven days. The, the picture was painted in seven days. So what they believe is that Moses took this common literary form and he rewrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, straightened things out. Hey, there's not many gods, there's one God. The world didn't come as a result of chaos or accident. It came as a result of God's choice. He spoke it into being. We weren't created to be slaves. We were created to rule. And so that he takes this literary form. So what, he, what they're arguing is that Genesis 1 is more like Job than it is, the, you know, uh, kind of another part, maybe the Gospels. There's like historical narrative. Jesus went here, Jesus went there. And what they would do is they would point out, and I've, I've touched on this a lot, they would point out the careful literary crafting. And I've highlighted some of this, right? Seven days creation. Three days forming. Three days filling. Seven times God says it is good. Three times he blesses. But they would go on, and they would even take it to the next level, and they say when you look at the Hebrew text itself, it's incredibly carefully crafted. Verse 1 in Hebrew has seven words. Verse 2 in Hebrew has 14 words. The final section of the creation account that spills over into chapter 2 is three verses. And in those three verses, the topic is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is mentioned three times. And in those three verses, there are 35 Hebrew words, which is five times seven. When God creates the first man, and he uses this very special word, bara. Remember, he's talking about God creates out of nothing, bara. When he creates the first couple, we'll see next week, he uses the word bara three times, repetitively. And so they would argue that when we read this, in the same way that we shouldn't read Job and say, okay, so where was the measuring line? Who's digging the foundations? Get me a shovel. They would say, hey, this is an ancient literary form to, that was in common use to describe epic events. And so what Moses is telling us, and it's not so much in modern-day science forms how it happened. He's telling us in ancient literary forms who did it, why he did it, and why we're here. Now, obviously, there's people that then mix and match between these four, right? Hey, I see that literary part, but I'm going for the day age or, you know, you know whatever the thing is, right? So, but what I'm trying to do is paint a picture as a church, we understand that throughout history, like for example, one of the most famous proponents of the day-age theory, like you'd, you'd hear that and you go, well, that just came about because of evolution, right? Someone just thought of that because of evolution, long, long time periods. You know, the first person who articulated this was St. Augustine, writing in the 300s. He is one of the greatest thinkers of church history. And as he read this, he said, this doesn't read to me like, historical narrative. It reads more like poetry, and I think these seven days are more eras of, of time, and God's telling a bigger picture story. He's one of the most brilliant and influential. I can't even tell you how big Augustine is. Like, I, I don't know if there's any bigger leader in church history than Augustine. And so, uh, so all I want you to catch is that as a church, we understand this, that as Christ's followers, different Christians have read and understood this, all trying to understand the mind of God, his intention, differently throughout, uh, throughout history. So here's what we need to catch, that this passage, what, what they all agree on, what all Christ followers agree on, this is important, what all Christ followers agree on is that this world is not the result of random actions of chance over billions of years. You are not an accident. I am not an accident. We are not here as a chance. And therefore, there is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as meaning and a purpose. There is such a thing as significance. We have been created for a reason. We have been created to rule. There is a God. This place is not an accident. He is absolutely brilliant, powerful, beautiful, generous, and completely good and and our life has meaning and purpose and significance. And we were created to live 
under the blessing of God. And the whole reason, the whole story of the Bible is how we lost the blessing, what God is doing through history to restore the blessing. Think what he said to Abraham, I will bless you and through you the whole nation, all the world will be blessed. And Jesus comes and blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs of the kingdom of God. And when we get to the end of the story, the tree of life is in the garden in Revelation 22. This is a story about a God who loves us, who's amazing and bright and powerful and beautiful and good who lost us as a world because of our rebellion who through Jesus is bringing us back and we are designed to live under the blessing of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so next week we will come back and talk about this high calling to live as kings and queens of this universe and catch this, when Jesus came, what did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is being restored through Jesus. And what does it look like to live as kings and queens of the creator? Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we're just thankful to be here. And we're thankful for this incredible passage of scripture that with a broad brush and bold colors, takes out the palette of our lives and begins sketching and painting this incredible creation. God, as we worship you now as the creator of all things, the one who is incredibly bright and powerful and creative and personal and generous and beautiful and good. God, we, we as your creation respond back to you with praise. And we worship you as a creator of all things in our lives. And as we bring our gifts now, our offerings, we pray you'd use them for your name and your fame that all would come to see that you are the creator, not to be rejected or ignored, but to be worshiped and adored. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Let's pray together. God, we worship you as our creator. We've just got a glimpse today of how amazing and brilliant and bright, powerful and personal, creative and beautiful, generous and good that you are. That everything we see, everything we don't see, seen realm, unseen realm, you are the creator. And as your word says in Isaiah, all creation, all creation speaks your glory. So God, I pray that as a church, you'd give us a renewed vision for you as creator, a renewed understanding of what it means to come under your leadership as our true creator, created for you. We will never find our joy. We will never find our peace. We will never find our purpose until we relate to you as our creator. You are the creator and we are not. You are the creator. We are the creature. You are the king and we are your subjects. And God, we come today and we pray that through this series, you would expand our minds. We would recapture the beauty of this truth that you are the creator of all things. And we see that tree. We look upon the ocean. We raise our eyes to the stars on a starry night. God, when we walk this beautiful earth, when we look at pictures of the Swiss Alps, God, that we would see you. And we would see your goodness, and we would see your glory, and we would see your size, and we would see your desire to bless our lives. And then, God, our worship for you would grow, and our obedience would increase, and we would surrender ourselves to this brilliant, amazing God who is the creator of all things. And that's our prayer, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Well, next week, I hope you can join us as we continue. We come to the pinnacle of creation next week, the creation of the first man, first woman, uh, and we see this calling on our lives to rule for him, uh, to be like him, created in his image. What does it look to be people who are being recreated in the image of God? What does it look like to rule well in our kingdoms? that God has entrusted us with in our home, in our careers, in our finances, in our families. We are called to rule in our marriages. 
What is it called to rule as king and queens? Amen? Amen. It's a great stuff. I hope you can be with us. Don't forget, after the service, we always have a ministry called the Prayer Corner. Sometimes I mention it, sometimes I don't. Down here to my right, if you need prayer for anything today. Again, if you're here visiting, welcome to, uh, to, to you especially. And may this week, may this week be a week where the Creator grows larger in your eyes. And when you look at the beauty of a tree, when you look at the beauty of the stars, if you can see them this week, when you go to Malibu and you look over that ocean, where you pick up, pull up pictures of the heavens on your computer, may this be a week where you understand the God who made that made you. And that he who has started began a good work in you when you came to Jesus, this new creation, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus. God is alive and he is well. As sons and daughters, he is recreating you in the image of Christ. May you experience his life-transforming ruach of his spirit hovering, creating in your life this week. And may you respond with more love and affection than ever before. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless.